Kenny Fritzler. Okay. <laughs> my name is Richard, and this is my wife, Linda. My name is Jeff Dixon. My name is Naomi Russell. My name is Tiffany Russell. We had just finished the EHS class, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and had been hearing about Rooted, and it seemed like the next logical step for the two of us, and so we enrolled. I signed up for Rooted because that's what I wanted to be, is rooted within my church. I love Kesset. I absolutely adore it. I've been a Christian for many, many years. I was told that a lot of people really like it, and I was curious to see what it was all about. And it's become more than what I ever imagined. Well, uh, my wife and I started here on Palm Sunday, so we haven't been here very long. But the church really felt like home, and we wanted to get plugged in. Uh, Pastor Chris told us that Rooted was the way to do it. Uh, for me, I wanted to uh, learn to give up me trying to make my life secure by myself and grow closer and trust in God. Um, I wanted to sign up for you because I felt a pull um, to just dig deeper into my relationship with Christ. It is a discipleship program unlike any I've ever seen. It runs the whole gamut of our walk with Christ. With a church, especially a larger church, it's difficult to develop good friendships. You just kind of acknowledge people as you come and go. With Rooted, having a group telling our stories, uh, we had a chance to really get to know each other as fellow brothers and sisters. It's eye-opening. There's a lot of revelation. Revelation about who I am in Christ, about who we are as a church, who we're supposed to be, what we're called to do who we're called to serve, and the story that each and every one of us have to tell. I found myself safe and secure in a small group of people, and um, not only growing in my relationship with Christ, but recognizing that I can share my story, and that it can help impact others, and it's been an incredibly healing experience for myself. I think that one of the most amazing things about it was learning how to pray, uh, learning to discipline myself, and be spending more time uh, with God and also, I don't know, kind of redirecting my life and my mindset. It's been a big change in that way. Don't hesitate, jump in. It's a wonderful study and um, nothing to be afraid of. And you're gonna make friends that you didn't know you had. And you're gonna open up a little bit too. Absolutely do it. Rooted as an experience, you're going to make lifelong friends. I've made friends that I will be able to count on and they will be able to count on me to minister with them, to minister through them. And then as we're all growing, we're going to be a much powerful church and we're going to take the gospel places where maybe it's never been. Maybe it's never been the way we're doing it now, but we're going to 
definitely go places with Rooted, and you will too. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, well, to begin this morning, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here at Kessa. Before we launch into the message, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, thing called Rooted that we do here. Rooted is, as they said, a discipleship uh, experience that we do a couple times a year, uh, and it's a 10-week-long program where most of us, when we hear about like a 10-week-long program, there's a little gasp inside of us, and we don't know what we're doing tomorrow. And so to commit to anything for 10 weeks is a very scary thing. But we have seen, and over about the two years that we have done Rooted, we've had almost 400 people go through this Rooted program. And we have seen it be this space that is created that, that um, as Richard said on the video, uh, takes people out of just being um, people that you see and wave to and even just see continuously on a Sunday morning and connect you to them. And I think if we're all honest, that's what we're after in the first place. And so I wanted to invite you, if you haven't already, um, to prayerfully think about, we have a rooted session coming starting September 16th, so just a couple weeks from now, um, that is going to be an amazing experience. Uh, we have openings uh, ready for it. We have some facilitators that would love to get to know you with some people. And Every single time that we launch Rooted, I get so excited because we get people together and they sit around at a table and you've got these mostly strangers that begin and they go through this 10-week experience where you study the scriptures together, you get to know each other, you have fun, you laugh together, um, you enjoy life together, and by the end of it, there's this connection that um, nothing but God can do through that. And so, and that's what we want at our church and in this community, not just a bunch of people that come and sit and listen on a Sunday, but we want to be a united community towards the same goals, same visions, same passions. And I have uh, personally, I think I might be winning right now. I've gone through rooted five times, all right? And so, uh, not that there's a race, but if there is, I did win. And so, um, I just want to uh, encourage you and a little bit challenge you to process through. If you want some information on this or, or uh, want to actually sign up for Rudy. You can do so at the Welcome Center here today. If you have any questions about Rudy, you can go out to the table or you can grab me. I'd love to share a little bit more uh, about when it's meeting, how it's meeting, or any information, but I would love for you to be a part of that. And, and for me, this is the area of the church that I love the most. Um, man, we are blessed with amazing artists and amazing worship, are we not? right here at Kessid. and But for me, the space that is beyond the Sunday morning space, the space of connection and growth is kind of my passion area. Um, and this is the stuff I love to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, and this is the stuff I want to give my life to. Uh, anyone that was here last week um, heard this really exciting announcement that we have in Kessid that we are, um, after a month-long search, we have... Um, uh, asked uh, Charles Tellis to come and be our youth pastor here at Kesson, which is a really exciting thing. All right, this is Charles, okay, and his wife Ashley. But I was actually well, the crazy thing is I was on vacation last week, and I, most of you know this. I am the youth pastor at Kesson, so a lot of you were like, "Where did Chris go?" Right? Like, so uh, I'm here. 
Uh, I'm excited for this. I was a part of this transition. God started pulling on my heart about two years ago, and as much as I love students, and they are so wonderful, um, I don't know if you know this, but in terms of our staff, most of us are job sharing. We have been kind of wearing a couple different hats, and this is one of the hats I've always worn at Kesed for the most part, but it's just one of the hats, and the fact that God is growing our community and growing our students, they deserve to have someone that is solely focused on them. And over some time, I, God started to stretch me and to pull me, and, and he started to say, um, okay, I want you to focus on this idea of connection and growth in our community, and I can do so through our students um, by, by loving on Charles and the team and everything else, but he started to pull me that way. And so uh, as Charles comes on, and you'll see him in about two weeks here, and you'll get to meet him, and he, I cannot wait for you uh, to get to know him and his wife and their story and, and why youth ministry is such an, such an important thing to him and what God has done through the, his teenage years and what a group did in his life is amazing and inspiring. And then beyond that, uh, I'm excited as we transition me out of that role to focus on more things like Rooted, like connection and growth, to continue to develop ministries, not just Rooted, but other spaces that you can come, be a part of community, get into the scriptures together, and connect and grow. And so we are entering into this incredible season here at Kesed with some transition. Um, You may want to get rid of me, but you're not, so I'm here. So just don't worry, I'm not gone. They didn't just... Someone else came up to me and like, so uh, they're making you stay around when they hired your replacement, right? I'm like, yes, yes, but I get to transition into something else. I'm not just hiding in a room somewhere in our church. So, so I'm excited for this transition. It's really exciting for us uh, going forward at Kesed. And this is a person, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, as a little bit of a, I'll say mama bear of our youth ministry, um, uh, we found the right guy. Uh, that we have prayed hard and asked some really hard, deep questions. And uh, I'm so confident and feel so good about this season ahead. So want to give you a little update on that. Excited for, for you guys to meet Charles and Ashley and uh, really beautiful things ahead for our Keswick community. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into the message here today. So as a guy who's done youth ministry for a long time, working with Pastor Keith with our kids and then youth ministry, there's one, one kind of idea that we present continually, all right? So I want to be like Jesus, all right? I want to say something. Maybe this is a shock to you. I want to be like Jesus, all right? Do you want to be like Jesus? Yes? Wait, do you want to be like Jesus? We can be excited about this. I want to be like Jesus. There's this man, God in flesh, that came and lived. He really lived and he really died and really rose again 2,000 years ago. And the way that he lived turned the world upside down. And the more that I study this man's life, the more that I learn, the more that I pray, the more that I enter into it, and the more that I get to be in community with other people who know him. My world is turned upside down, and of all the directions that I could go in my life, I want to go towards him, right? Here's the thing, though. I don't want to be Jesus, right? Because Jesus was Jesus 2,000 years ago. He was a man who lived 2,000 years ago in the Judean countryside, and I'm Chris Potter, right? I want to look at Jesus' life and to study it, and through the Spirit of God, I want to become the greatest expression of Jesus through this unique person that I possibly can I hope you want to do the same. This last couple weeks as I have been studying for this message, there's one particular aspect of the way in which that he taught, the way in which that he discipled, that as I looked at it, 
I felt convicted to say, I don't know if I, that part of me is like Jesus. Right? There are a few people in my life who this aspect of their life is like Jesus, but if I'm honest, as I kind of surveyed my community, if I, as I surveyed uh, first the Christian landscape, but then our cultural landscape uh, altogether, I looked and said that there's, there's a way in which he interacted with others that is, was both powerful and I, and I don't see done very well, right? When we start with uh, a story, there's a story of a legendary professor of theology who completed his final lecture to a standing ovation. Okay, I've been to Bible college. I have been in theology courses. There are no standing ovations, okay, that happen. And, like, doesn't happen. So this is a, must have been a pretty valued person. The professor picked up his notes, hastened them into a folder, and headed out of the lecture hall. At the doorway, he turned around and faced the applauding students. The class fell silent, listening for a parting word. The professor took in the class with his eyes and said, Just remember, Jesus is the question to all of your answers. And at that, he left. Jesus is the question to all of of your answers. As I was studying this week, I found that according to the Gospels, Jesus asked some 307 different questions, is asked only 183 questions, and directly answers only three. Jesus is a hundred times more likely to ask a question than he is to answer one directly. According to the book of Luke, Mary and Joseph lose track of their 12-year-old son, Jesus, in the temple in Jerusalem. They are frantic with worry. When they finally track him down, they find him sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Listen, I've been doing youth ministry for a long time. When we lose a 12-year-old, we don't go to the chapel all right, with the pastor to look for them. We look, go to other places. But Jesus was different, right? When his parents express their dismay for being caused such anxiety, the preteen Jesus responds by asking two questions. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to, to be in my father's house? It is telling that the first words Jesus speaks in the Gospels are in the form of a question. Jesus asks different questions at different times in the Gospels and to different ends. To some people, he's simple and straightforward. What are you talking about as you walk along? Other questions are rhetorical. They're meant to hang in the air unanswered. Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? Other questions that Jesus asked probe the depths and elude any easy answer. What are you looking for? But who do you say I am? Still other questions are a direct challenge to the listener. Why do you not understand that I, what I am saying? Where is your faith? Why could you not watch with me one hour at the end of Jesus' life, according to Mark and Matthew, his last utterance while on the cross was yet another question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We might assume that if ever there was a time when Jesus would stick to a simple and declarative sentences, it would be after his resurrection. But according to the Gospels, however, even the risen Christ keeps asking questions. What are you talking about as you walk along? Do you have anything here to eat? And do you love me? Have you ever noticed this or thought about why this is, right? Jesus asks a hundred times more questions than he answers directly. 
So why is this? So we got to remember a couple things. One, this is God in flesh. So as Jesus asks questions, I don't think that he's going searching for answers, right? He's not going to human beings and searching for answers. So he doesn't need the information. So there's got to be a whole different reason that he asks these questions. Two, right, he knows as God that he has given freedom to these human beings and they can answer however they want. So he can't just put the right answer in their mouth, right? Or he doesn't do so. Right? Because here's the thing, Jesus sees all your Facebook posts, he knows some of your answers to questions are ridiculous, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we see many of them too, by the way. Um, and so he, he knows he's talking to human beings, so there's, there's no for sure that once he asks a question that the right answer, especially for the audience that's watching, is going to come out. So there has to be another reason why he asks the question. Have you ever thought about the power behind a question, right? And that there are other questions behind this. Recently, I was driving in uh, a truck and my eight-year-old son was in uh, the back seat and he's sitting there and he is so wired like me. I grew up, I was a why guy, okay? Always asking why, always asking questions. And my son is just curious and I love this about him most of the time, all right? But sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes it's annoying, okay? And so this is one of the times where he just, out of the blue, we're not even talking, and he just asked the question, okay? Hey, Dad, have you ever stolen anything? And I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm really aware of the power of a question at this point, because this question has a lot of weight, because I look really good to my son right now. He's eight, and he only sees so much of me, and I'm really strong to him, and I'm really loving, and I'm really good, and I'm really like the source of all good things. I mean, Jesus is, he knows this, but right under Jesus is me, okay? And how I answer this question directly affects where I'm at in the org chart. And I like my place in the org chart in my son's life, right? And so I have to be really careful about this. On the other hand, I have to be honest, Okay, I can't go on any farther making him think that I'm just this perfect person. Jesus is the perfect person. And so I share and I just say, you know, buddy, I have. And I, his eyes are like, what? Like, and he's like, I haven't. And I'm like, great, thanks, right? And I go, well, here's the thing, buddy. I, you know, you'll get to know more and more as you grow up, but there's actually quite a few times that dad didn't make the right decision, but I learned a lot, right, from those situations, but there's quite a few things, right? Now, I don't know if I'm going to get into all the stories of everything with him. You know, he'll probably never get access to all of them, but he does deserve as my son to be able to ask the question, and my job as dad is to not minimize the power of the question, and not make it more than it is. It needs to be exactly what it is. He wasn't asking for this giant profound thing. He just had a question. But I had an opportunity to, and, and I think this is what we're going to get into in Jesus' story and Jesus' um, interactions. Jesus has a goal with questions. And I think my son did too. He, he wanted to grow them and he wanted to connect with them. And Jesus knew that questions are this opportunity that when asked in the right way, when given the right space, they have this power. They have this incredible power to do something, to move us beyond where we're at, and to both grow us, to stretch us, and, and to connect us. You think of some of the most powerful questions that we have in our culture. Will you marry me? Right? 
the power of that. You guys know the power of the question, right? Questions have the power to unite us. They have the power to tear us down, right? Maybe some of you in this room have been asked a question like, does this dress make me look, and I won't finish that sentence, right? But by the way, if you're a young married, there is power in that question, okay? There is power in that question. Right? Maybe you felt the tension of a question like this. I asked a couple of couples, and this is the one that came up most that brought, um, brought tension. Where do you want to eat? Right? Have you ever felt through the stress of that? Like, where do you want to eat? Like, I know, like, wait, we're both hungry. Right? We'll have a, a common goal here, yet somehow that becomes... I remember literally as a kid watching that happen with my parents, where my dad would just be like, what do you want to eat? Right when we're driving somewhere, and my, somehow all the, the pressure is now on my mom, and my mom doesn't like the pressure, and so she tried. So I just watched this like tennis match just go back and forth, where nobody just wants to make the decision, right? And finally, my sister and I are like, "Wendy's, we don't care anymore. We will literally eat the food on the floor at the supermarket." Just right. <laughs> there is power in a question. Jesus knew this as he interacted with people. There is power in a question, and if. I'm completely honest. As I look around, there are times that, um, well, many of us later today are going to go to a barbecue or tomorrow, and we hopefully have some time off, and we're celebrating this Labor Day, which, uh, 35 years old, it was the first time I actually, like, Googled, like, what is Labor Day, right? And I kind of knew, right? But stopping for a second to actually celebrate and look at the amount of work and time and blood, sweat, and tears has gone to get us to where we're at today in our country and in our lives is a, is a really necessary thing. It's a good thing, right? And we, um, we have gone so far in our efficiency, in our power, in our culture, and that, that's a good thing. But with this efficiency that we have, I mean, yesterday I was struck. Uh, my wife's company had like a company picnic back up in Castle Rock, and on the way up there, we stopped at the supermarket, and we just grabbed some sandwiches and some chips and some drinks, and put them in a cooler and brought them up there, and I was just, like, as, and I had this message in the back of my mind, and as I was sitting there in the grass, I was struck by the fact that I'm eating the exact sandwich that I want right now. Actually, I bought a sandwich, and it didn't have salami on it, and I wanted salami, so I bought salami that was also accessible to me in the supermarket, and I put it on my sandwich, and I had a different sandwich and the exact chips that I wanted, the exact drink that I wanted, and I was just struck by the fact that we are so blessed to live in the time that we live, that we have this choice and this it's amazing. It's a good thing. But with this efficiency and all the opportunity that we have, there is something that can be lost along the way because we can accomplish so much more in a day. We can do so many more things. But some things, and Jesus knew this, some and the real important things in life cannot be rushed. They cannot be rushed through. They have to be given adequate time. I would like to share uh, an actual blog post that I found this week that I thought summed this up in an incredible and powerful way this week. Um, I'm looking around and I know that we have some mamas uh, in the room. And I think many of you are going to relate to this story of a mom sharing about uh, when she was younger and she had three young babies at home. So let me share this. It says, when I was a mama of three tiny, very messy, very beautiful rugrats, we had days that went on for lifetimes. 
My husband left at 6 a.m. every morning, and as I watched his showered, iron self leave the house, I felt incredibly blessed and thrilled to have so much time alone with my babies, and incredibly terrified and bitter to have so much time alone with my babies. If you don't believe that all of those feelings can exist at once, well, you've never been a parent to many tiny, messy, beautiful rugrats. When my husband returned home at each day at 6 p.m., he actually returned at 5.50, but took a stunningly long time to get the mail. He'd walk through the door, smile, and say, so, how was your day? And this question was like a spotlight pointed directly at the chasm between his experience of a day and my experience of a day. How was my day? The question would linger in the air for a moment while I stared at him and the baby shoved her hand in my mouth like they do. While the oldest screamed, Mommy, I need help pooping from the bathroom. And the middle one cried in the corner because I never, ever, ever let her drink the dishwasher detergent. Not even once, Mommy. And I looked down at my spaghetti-stained pajama top, unwashed hair, and gorgeous baby on my hip, and my eyes would wander around the room, pausing to notice the toys peppering the floor and the kids' stunning new art on the fridge. And I'd want to say, how was my day? Today has been a lifetime. It has been the best of times and the worst of times. There were moments when my heart was so full, I thought I might explode. And there were other moments when my senses were under such intense assault that I was certain that I'd explode. I was both lonely and absolutely desperate to be alone. I was saturated, just bombarded with touch. And then the second I put this down this baby, I yearned to smell her sweet skin again. I was simultaneously bored out of my skull and completely overwhelmed with so much to do. Today was too much and it was not enough. It was loud and it was silent. It was brutal and it was beautiful. It was at, the, it was at my very best today. I was at my very best today. And then just a moment later at my worst. At 3.30 today, I decided that we should adopt four more children. And then at 3.35, I decided that we should give up all of our kids away for adoption. <laughs> Husband, when your day is completely and totally dependent on, on the moods and needs and schedules of tiny, messy beautiful rugrats. Your day is all of the things and none of the things. Sometimes within the same three-minute period, but I'm not complaining. This is not a complaint, so don't try and fix it. I wouldn't have my day any other way. I'm just saying it's a really hard thing to explain an entire day with lots of babies, but I'd be too tired to say all of that. So I'd just cry or yell or say I'm fine and then hand the baby over and run to Target to wander the aisles aimless, aimlessly because that's all I ever wanted anyway. <laughs> that's so my wife. But I'd be a little sad because love is really about being seen and known. And I wasn't being seen or known then. Everything was really hard to explain. It made me lonely. I think there's an element to that that every one of us can relate to. The power of a question. And, and really the power of the right question. See, the right question given at the right time has this amazing creative ability to create this space that we can both enter into that causes us to connect and to grow and to learn and become more of the person that we were created to be. But then there's other questions that kind of just check the box, right? And it doesn't mean that we just want to check the box but it just means that's all it accomplishes. Some questions just check the box. Some questions 
they're a little harder. And so this blog post went on to talk about uh, the need that this couple found for counseling. And as they sat with a counselor, they actually learned to ask better questions. So instead of just coming home and saying, how was your day? They asked questions like, when did you feel loved today? When did you feel lonely? What did you do today that made you feel appreciated? What did I say that made you feel unnoticed? What can I help to, what can I do to help you right now? There are different questions that open up a different door. And we all have a choice as to whether we'll walk through that door. So, so one, we have this, we have this responsibility to find the right question, right, that unlocks the door. And then two, we all have a choice. We all have a choice that if that question is asked and if that door is unlocked, will I walk through it? Will I trust that even though it might be uncomfortable when I'm asked the question, and Jesus did this 300 and something times, I'm trusting that what might be on the other side of that, fear should not win. Fear should not keep me from walking into that space, that I should trust that even if it's uncomfortable, that, that is a good place for me, that oftentimes the connection and growth that I'm after is, is on the other side of this uncomfortability. Easy answers give us a sense of finality by entertaining questions. God has a chance to change us. Answers can be offered as a conclusion, but questions are an invitation to further reflection. For the most part, answers close and questions open. It is telling that the word question contains the word quest. That is, a question sends you on a journey and often in search of something valuable. I would, I would wager that you're here this morning in search of something valuable that we all are in search of this connection and this growth. I am blessed to sit with people continuously. I'll never forget sitting with young, one young man once um, who was in his late 20s, who uh, was working a ton, who had a brand new baby at home and was completely overwhelmed. And because of the family that he grew up in, because of the influences he had in his life, he didn't really have a place to turn with this to know what to do next. And I'll never forget him saying, I don't even know what questions to ask. So it wasn't just, I don't, I don't know how to answer my question. It's, I, I'm so, I don't know that I don't even know what questions to ask to pursue the answers in the first place. And if, if I'm honest, I, I think this is where a lot of us sit often. And, and I want to start by saying, I don't know if that's your fault or my fault, um, but it is kind of our fault that our culture has lost this respect and this high value of asking questions. Jesus grew up in a Jewish culture, and in the Jewish question, culture, questions are of the greatest value. Um, there's a joke in Jewish culture uh, and say, why do Jewish people ask questions all the time? And the answer is, well, why wouldn't Jewish people ask questions all the time? Every year, people of the Jewish faith, faith come together for something called Seder, for the Passover Seder. And this ritual of Jewish tradition is structured around questions. The Seder is a ritual feast that marks the beginning of Passover. And central to the Seder is a retelling of the story of the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The retelling of the story is prompting by the asking of five questions, beginning with, 
Why is this night different from all other nights? And these questions are a teaching tool. So you know what they do at a Seder, if you've ever attended the Seder? Do you know who asks the question? Why is this night different from all other nights? Right? The youngest child at the table. So it isn't just this, the person, the adult that has all the answers, like the dad driving the truck, right? Uh, no, we invite the youngest person to ask the question because we're all learners. Every single one of us are still growing and learning. And it isn't just me that has the answer, so your job is to sit over there, kid, and listen to my information. We're all curious. And even, th even though maybe we've celebrated this every year of our life, there's a new way to understand. So we need to ask the question again because the question creates a space. Qu the question cr opens a door for me to walk through. The question is, will I? The ritual then moves to questions about the Seder asked by four sons. There's these four different sons that ask the question. And, and in, whenever we, we read, especially the Old Testament, you see a list of sons' names, right? It generally goes from um, the one that's going to get the greatest inheritance or the oldest to the youngest. And so there's this hierarchical way that they list names. That the, the, the best is first and the least and last. Do you know who the least, the last mentioned son in this story is? Right? The one who does not know how to ask. That's the least in this culture. And this is a time-proven generational thing. Now, I'm not saying that we should all adopt the theology of Jewish culture, but there are parts of the tradition that we definitely need to look at and look at our family and look at our, our, our marriages and look at our friendships and say, Do we, when's the last time I asked a question of any meaning? When is the last time that I created this space that even, so we can ask a question of meaning, and I've, over 15 years of ministry, I've had to learn the hard way that sometimes I can go ask a really good question, but the space isn't there to even answer the question. So I'm, I'm kind of forcing this uncomfortable space onto somebody that, that much work has to be done just to bring us to this space where we can go there. This is why Sunday mornings, um, we think, are such a, an important part of our week because we try to create this space where we get to unpack most of the stuff that we're dealing with in our lives and move into a space that I get to, okay, Lord, speak to me. All right, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that stuff. That stuff, I, I get to pick it up when I leave, but right now I get to focus on this. This is a lost art. Um, now, those with wisdom around us, um, our, he'll hate me for doing this, but our executive pastor, Tom, will lead a whole meeting with three questions and then never speak. And it will be the great leadership in the room because he'll just ask three questions. He'll let everybody else find the answer or, or we'll get the information they need. He doesn't, he's not there just sharing information for us to write down and learn. The answer's out there that we all need to adopt, right? Um, Dr. Larry Shelton uh, has been one of these guys in my life that has just asked me questions that... Uh, early on, a younger Chris was, just wanted to go get a paragraph answer for theology, and now I've learned a little bit deeper that I'm not, sh I'm not sure if I should start with the paragraph. I need to wrestle with that. I need to go wrestle with some other people about that. And then it is an art to allow a question to have the power that it deserves to have. You see, sometimes in the scriptures where Jesus asks a question, and it's really clear that, that what's happening is lost on the person, so they just answer in a very practical way, and then the connection is over. Then the relationship is done. And there's other times that Jesus asks a question, and his goal is not just to bring us closer together, but his goal is that he sees us completely, and he knows that it, 
this question is actually going to create a really good and healthy tearing in your life that needs to happen, that there is some brokenness, some false beliefs, and some false ideas, some, some anxieties or fears that are, that are warring within you, that are winning within you, and that he wants to ask a question of you. He wants to ask a question, what do you want from me? He wants to ask a question, what are you so afraid of? What if you let questions like that have all the weight that they deserve? Um, I've been asking a question lately, trying to ask the question, um, what makes me a good dad, right? And I, I have some answers, right? Like, if you just ask me that question, I, I think I could for a second spout off some good stuff that I want to be present and I want to set a good example for my son and I want to be uh, active in his life and I want to let him become who he is. But then as I share all those things and the list gets bigger of what I want to be and then I start to actually prioritize each one of those and wow, I really care about this, but I really care about this one. And then as I really started to look at that problem and that scenario, then I started to look at my life and say, do I orient my time and my energy around moving towards those values that I want to be as a dad? And then I'll, I look at the power, just one question, just one, just one. And Jesus knew the power of these questions. I've shared this several times from stage before. Um, uh, several years ago, I went through a divorce and I spent the first entire year asking a question, why? And I put every ounce of energy into that, and there became a point where that wasn't fruitful for me anymore, and I was blessed to sit with a very healthy and wise counselor who was able to say, Chris, what if you switched your why to what now? What if your energy went from why, right, that doesn't seem to be working or bringing life to you to, to what now? Where does energy go now? And it changed my life, right? Just but the art of asking the right question at the right time. What questions are you asking and which ones are you giving space to? Um, one of the important things, if you do say yes to actually moving into these deeper questions in your life, um, one of the important things that we'll find is that um, that's not always just a solo journey. Most of the time, actually, it's a group. It's a community journey. That's why things like Rooted are so important in our lives, that we have other people with shared values that, walk, that, that help us in our lives, that, that don't answer it for us, by the way, but help to bring out the answers that we're searching for, uh, maybe that we couldn't quite see. As my friend earlier shared, I don't even know the questions to ask, but maybe if I'm sitting with somebody in the room who has gone through something similar, they can be like, I, I don't know for you, but for me, this is what helped me. And I, I know that shared testimony and that shared relationship and that shared experience goes so far in us growing and connecting. So one of the questions I want to ask today is who's your team? Who's on your team? 35 years old, I'm now learning, right? I used to have these couple of friends that did everything in my life. And so they were my fun friends and they were the friends I went to in chaos and everything in between. And now I'm learning I have to build some compartmental friends. That the ones that I have over for barbecue, maybe they are, but, but a lot of times they're not. They're not the ones I go to in chaos, right? And maybe that's not the model that you've learned. You just have a couple of people and I actually have to, with wisdom, start looking and saying, what? What is this person good at? What, what skill sets do they bring to the table? 
Do they have the wisdom and tools necessary, the time and the capacity? And secondly, I want to ask the question, what are you anchored to? What emotions, old beliefs, and fears are you anchored to as you ask questions? So the, the thing about a, the power of a good question is it has the capacity, if you'll let it, to untangle you from things, from old beliefs, from anxieties that you were never supposed to be attached to in the first place. And so entering into those questions, stepping through the door, having the courage to do so, will maybe, just maybe, allow you to question that. Because we need to be people who, with our questions, are saying, I'm not just checking the box here. I really care what you have to say and how you feel. I really want to know you. If we don't want throwaway answers, we can't ask throwaway questions. A caring question is a key that will unlock a room inside the person that you love. But maybe first we have to admit that I don't know how to ask that question. I was never taught that. I, I didn't see that in my world. And so we go in search of some community that maybe over time can help us learn those skill sets so that maybe we can teach those to our kids and they can teach them to our kids. And then we look at this idea and we talk all the time about the concept of legacy. What legacy do we want to leave as Kesset Church, as the family of believers? And I think this is one of them that I feel very passionate about that we are people not afraid of questions that we'll enter into them, but we'll do it so in the right way with a community that helps us get the right space and enter into the right space that brings us to connection and growth. When a blind man cries out to Jesus as he passes by on the road to Jericho, Jesus responds by asking him, what do you want me to do for you? Which seems like a really silly question, right? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus, you, you know that this man is blind. You know what to do. If you're blind, of course, what you want is to have your sight restored. Does Jesus even have to ask? Actually, it seems to be one of Jesus' favorite questions because he repeats it in other similar circumstances. Most of us have a tendency to assume we know what another person needs or wants by asking the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is showing respect for him. He is not presuming to know what he wants. He is asking. And with that question, he's saying, I want to see you. I'm not just assuming I know what you need. I'm respecting you as a unique creation. And I'm asking, what do you want from me? And letting that question settle in that person's life and letting them speak for themselves. The author Martin B. Copenhaver said this, I feel a closeness between me and my true self and a closeness between me and God being quittened right there in the place that Jesus' question rankles. Right there in the place where the question unsettles, I feel some new intimacy sparked. That's my invitation and my challenge here this morning is that we will be people that will walk into certain questions. So what we want to do is spend a little time doing that this morning because we have a little time left this morning. Um, the worship team is going to come out and we're going to play um, some music together. And, and as we do so, you're going to see up on the screen some questions that Jesus asked us in the scriptures. Now, um, some will be applicable to you and some won't. And your job and my 
my challenge to you is to find the one or two that are applicable to you and to step into it, to give it the space it deserves. Now, the one encouragement I'll give you is that you probably won't to give it, be able to give it all the space it needs this morning. Right? There may be another space, and there may be another space with some other people necessary. Right? But my encouragement to you is that you would have the, the courage and the strength to go into an uncomfortable space and trust and know that we serve the God that meets us in those uncomfortable and scary spaces, and that there are power in these questions. You don't need to hear more from me. The Spirit of God will press these in on you, and I just encourage you to walk through that door. Don't just check the box. Move into this growth and connection. So I want to pray for us, and we're just going to, going to enter into this time together, and I'll come up at the end, and I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to be like you. Jesus, I want to be like you. I thank you that the ways in which I'm not like you, you convict me. And the ways in which I'm not like you, it's okay that I'm not there, but it's not okay that I stay where I'm at. So may this morning be a first step towards you, towards this growth and connection, towards wholeness. We allow the power of a question to resonate in our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Breaking 
Out of 